0: What's up, Dueling Decades?
1: This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s
2: or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl
1: or Super Dave? I don't know, but now the battle begins. Dueling
2: Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we hop into April with a best-of duel. I will be representing April of 1997 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, gagging you with a spoon full of the 90s, say hello to Man Crush.
3: Yeah, what's up? I have April of 1993, and for the first time ever, this is the second time that I have April of 1993. The first time that we're ever repeating a year and a month, but everything's new.
2: Also joining us on the panel, and for the very first time ever, a former guest judge returns to play our game, So, kicking the 80s, right in the nards, please welcome back to the show the amazing Andre Gower.
0: Uh, Good uh, good to be back. This is different. Um, I'm ready to rock. And I have April of 1986. And I'll just let you know now the game is over. (laughs) Because I have some good stuff.
2: And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. Listeners will know this week's judge as a show regular who once hijacked the DeLorean just to go back in time and bitch slap Jar Jar Binks. He's the media king of the north. All rise for Judge Joe Finley.
1: It's sticking, the media king of the north. I couldn't be happier about that. Uh, I I told my wife that you called me that, and she's like, oh, you're going to make that a thing, aren't you? And I'm like, you're damn right I am. So let's get it started tonight. Tattoo. That's a tattoo. Uh, Across my entire
2: chest. I was thinking more tramp stamp.
1: But. I've No, that space is already taken up. I will not tell you with <laughs> okay. what.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we will go to a final wildcard round. Remember, duelers, to review the show, listen, subscribe, and play along at home, it's time for more so let's go right down to our judge, Joe Finley, for the coin toss. All right. Well, as uh,
1: astute listeners may know, I've been judged one time before, and I downloaded an app so I might flip a coin, and I have that app with me today, and I have a silver, <laughs> I have a dollar piece on there, and you have John Quincy Adams as your heads, the Statue of Liberty is Tails. So, Andre, let's have you call it in the air.
0: Of course, Tails, because I am a rule-following contrarian.
1: I love it. Unfortunately, the former president of the United States does not love it. John Quincy Adams, it is heads. Proceed.
2: That means, man crush, you win the coin toss this week. You take control of the board, and you get to select our first category.
3: All right, let's kick things off hot with hot products. Let's go uh, April 16th, 1993. I'm going to make this one quick because I want to get right to my big unveil here, uh, which is 30 years in the making or or 28 years to be exact. Uh, I'm sure most of us are aware, even if you don't collect comic books, that Superman was killed by doomsday in late 1992. This was insanely massive at the time. Fans, common folks alike were captivated by the death of Superman. Uh, but let's face facts. We all knew you weren't going to keep Superman dead forever. And even though this issue, it's marked June of 1993, it actually hit shelves in April of 1993. And looking through the archives, it looks like most places had Adventures of Superman number 500 on sale mid-April 1993. The ad I have is uh, April 16th, so right around there. Uh, But much like The Death of Superman, which was a massive commercial success, I think it sold like 7 million copies, The Return of Superman, equally popular. Uh, whether people were comic book fans or not, everyone was scooping up copies of this. The place that I bought my comics from back in the day, it was this joint called TJ's Comics and Cards. And they couldn't even keep this in stock. And they had a limit of two per person. And I know that for a reason. And I'll tell you that in a minute. But Much like uh, the Death of Superman, which came in the, uh, remember it was the black bag and it had like the yep. bloody Superman emblem. Yeah. Life After Death came in a similar bag. But this time it was in a white bag with the regular Superman emblem, much like this one right here. So, not only do I have the comic book, I have the bag from TJ's Comics that I bought it in. This was, it's a Superman shopping bag. This is what they did back then. And I have my two copies. <laughs> and they're both pristine condition. We're going to go ahead and they have been open in uh 28 years. So let's uh let's open one of these suckers up. There was like a special like silver foil on one of the uh, yeah, covers. I remember that one. Um let's see if I got that. All right. Tops open. First time this thing is getting air. Dust.
1: Is it the Snyder Oof. cut of the comic?
3: <laughs> yeah it's uh it's nine hundred pages an encycl- yeah. it's an encyclopedia, right,
1: right. uh d- does not
3: look like I have the silver cover, but I still have one more left, but it looks like it's in fantastic <laughs> shape. when I was uh researching this the other day, oh, look at that, it's got a coneheads ad in it to show how dated this is. um <laughs> uh, you're actually you were not supposed to keep these in the plastic covers. You were supposed to open them up from what I read online. I don't know how true this is because this looks like it's in pretty pristine condition uh, that without getting air. I don't know. The cover would deteriorate or something, but it looks OK.
2: There yeah, it is. It looks like it's in great condition. Yeah. yeah.
3: My uh, Adventures of Superman number 500 Superman's back. And now there's like four of them or some shit. But this yeah. is uh, this is
1: where it's at. And one of them was Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs>
2: Wow, Man Crush, I'm so glad you went to the Comics Rack, because for my hot product, we're going to give the old Comics Rack a spin in 1977, and we're going to land on X-Men number 104. You know, this is actually a landmark issue where we see the all-new, all-different X-Men lineup. Now, they were previously assembled in giant-sized X-Men number one by legendary writer Chris Claremont. This time, they face off against a villain who has not been seen since Defenders number 16 all the way back in 1974, when he was accidentally turned into a baby by another mutant he created. So, in April of 1977, the new X-Men, consisting of Cyclops, Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Banshee, find themselves at Moore McTaggart's Research Island, when they are attacked and met by their greatest foe. And he says, Greetings, X-Men. I bid you welcome to the site of your final battleground. You are going to die here, mutants, and neither your powers nor your skills can save you from my wrath. Look upon me, X-Men, for I am your oldest, deadliest foe, master of the Legion of Evil Mutants, and soon to be lord of all the world, I am Magneto. This marks the return of Magneto in the first time the new X-Men lineup would face off against him. In this issue, we have the first appearance of the SR-71 Blackbird, the famous uh, vehicle of the X-Men, and then it's also the debut of Lalandra, who is literally the woman of Professor X's dreams, and the big one here for me is the debut of the Starjammers and their leader, Corsair, who would later be revealed as Cyclops' father. Now, the Starjammers, if you're not familiar with them, they're kind of like the Guardians of the Galaxy mashed up with ice pirates, and their leader, Corsair, is their swashbuckling space pirate leader. He is absolutely fantastic. Overall, this is just a great issue. It starts off a great storyline for Magneto and the X-Men, and it gives us the introduction to some great new characters that later on are going to have a major impact on the Marvel Universe. So that's my pick for hot products. It is X Men number 104, April of 1977. All right, Andre Gower, we're going to toss it over to you. What is your pick for the Hot Products round?
0: Well, I'm going to go um, dorky in a different route. Uh, <laughs> no comic books for me in 86. Uh, I am going to go more tech pathway. Very nice.
3: Awesome. And
0: with the introduction of IBM's first quote-unquote, laptop, the IBM PC convertible, which uh, was technically released in April of 1986. Um, it, <laughs> it, it ran on DOS. Nice. Because <laughs> <first, laughs> uh, we're in 86. And uh, a couple of the highlights is uh, it was the first laptop computer made by IBM. Uh, first sold in April of 86, like I mentioned. Uh, it was the first laptop-style computer uh, following the luggable ibm portable which was more like a briefcase like that big luggage <laughs> yeah. type thing yeah. that you i don't i don't even remember seeing any successful businessmen walking around with that no, this one maybe but it was still so big they just put it on their desk and left it there right? <laughs> it uh some of it's uh and what it did is this computer introduced the three and a half inch floppy disk Ooh, man so that was kind of cool uh, to the IBM uh, to theirs. Uh, uh, its key feature was that it had power management and the ability to run on batteries which uh, they hadn't had before. <laughs> I don't believe. Minutes. That's right. <laughs> like some you know that crappy flip up LCD screen and you know a giant full keyboard and uh, like a like a, a a mini briefcase type plastic housing. Uh it wasn't I was, I was trying to get some uh it weighed 13 pounds.
3: I nice. see so you can work out with it. <laughs>
0: that's right. You just, well, that's why it had the handle, so you could just try and do some curls <laughs> and you know, some like some deltoid flies and things <laughs> like work that. that absolutely at the airport. <laughs> that's right. He's like, sir, what are you doing? You're like, trust me, it's my it's my cardio. Um and that's you know, it really wasn't received well because it was a poor value for its money because other competitors uh, mostly made in Japan had uh, more features. Uh, you know, I guess for what everybody wanted there, you were either, you know, typing out um, a letter that you could print on your IBM dot matrix printer <laughs> or you were playing Oregon Trail or something. I don't know. Hell yes. <laughs> You know, I don't know, um, but that was a cool time. I mean, look, technology changes so vastly every year and these were kind of some predecessors uh, of some rad <laughs> stuff.
3: For sure, man. That How much did yeah. that cost? Did you have a price on that one?
0: Yeah, I think it was $2,000. Holy
3: shit. Wow.
0: Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I wrote down $2,000 because I think that was so weird. Yeah, I, don't, like, I know yeah, that wasn't like worth it. like five
3: grand today.
0: Yeah, I know that wasn't down. worth
3: it. <laughs> Insane.
0: So someone could fact check me on the price, but I did write that down when I found it somewhere weird, either in an ad on an old newspaper or an obscure kind of tech magazine article. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm going on Hot Products for April of 86, the IBM PC Convertible, IBM's first laptop.
3: Very nice, man. That's nice. Great job. And that's why I started with Hot Products. I was like, let's see what he's got. We'll go Hot Products the hardest round. Get it out
0: of the way. My shit only gets better from here, yeah, man.
3: It's get get Hot
2: Products <laughs> out of the way. All right. All right. Let's kick it up to Judge Joe Finley for the ruling on the Hot Products round.
1: All right well, I'm not going to suck up right off the bat just because I'm a fan of him, but I do uh, commend Andre for coming in. This is a tough thing to do. I remember my first time doing this, uh, this format of the show, and it's hard as hell. And so to, uh, to jump in, like, God bless you, but um, and he, he barely asked
3: me any questions. I mean, I'd sent him multiple emails like, "Dude you okay? Like you need any yeah. help?" Like he, not got it, man. I'm good no. to go. So <laughs> hey, good
1: job, bro. Yeah. And I'll tell, and I'll tell you, I screwed up once. I actually, uh, instead of hot products, or I picked sports or something like that, and I had to like on the fly come up with one. And Man, Man Crush was like, "No, no, that's not it." And I'm like, oh shit!" And I had to improvise. But uh, so, no, my hats off to you. Uh, it's a good product. I'm gonna start though by comparing the comic books. Whenever you got two things similar, it's best to just kick one of you assholes out. Um, two big comic books. Uh, obviously, the the X Men one was a big deal. It was a new lineup. It was a return of a major character. It was an introduction to uh, the jet, like you said, which is a major thing. Uh, it's really interesting that you bring up the Star Jammers because uh, uh, my co host, uh, Todd Murray, it was just in the midst of rewatching the X Men animated series on uh, Disney Plus, oh, and yeah. the Star Jammers appear in one of the storylines on there. And his first thing was. I feel like James Gunn just watched this and then made Guardians of the Galaxy. He's like, there's a lot that's just straight from it. There's a lot that's similar but this is going to be the only time you're going to hear me pick dc over marvel it's the significance of the return of superman is just too big uh throw in the fact that when you're when you're talking about a hot product the person pitching it owns the product doesn't just own one owns two <laughs> two baby there's only one collector's item i own two of and it's actually the um the uh, Star Wars Force Awakens uh, vinyl soundtrack because they carved in a hologram, so that when you watch, when you play the record, when you turn, when you spin it, you see a hologram of a ship going oh, above yeah. it, and it's really cool. So my my wife bought me one that I could open and use, and one that I could keep sealed. So I know the uh, importance of a collector's item like that. And you opened it for us, uh, so I'm going to eliminate the X Men right now, and then to go between uh, Superman and. The computer, I mean, the computer's cool. The introduction of the floppy disk is great, but this man prefers a hard drive, so I'm still going to go with Superman. (laughs) He
3: might not be able to see through that laptop.
2: Because it is that thing. But if you dropped that laptop on Superman, it would kill him. It might, it might.
3: (laughs) It could, it could at least hurt him. I mean, you know, the one thing that was pretty cool that I saw in these articles when I was going through newspapers.com all about this, because there was a lot of stuff about the death and, you know, his return, This actually put DC ahead of Marvel for a little bit. I mean, obviously it didn't last that long because Superman wasn't even a top like 10 comic at the time. But the market share shifted from 28% towards DC to 27% towards Marvel for that one six month period. And it was basically all because of, you know, soups. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. And, you know, the other thing is everyone bought these and we had multiple copies because everyone thought, oh, man, in 30 years, this thing's going to be worth hundreds of dollars and I'm going to put my kids through college. Yeah, it's for hundreds of dollars. (laughs) Well, I mean, depending on how many you bought, I suppose. But uh, yeah, this one right here, I looked it up on uh, on eBay. It's like 10 bucks. Five, ten bucks, and if you have the silver one, it's obviously a lot more the whatever the hell it is the special edition one that was only in some of these envelopes, but I do not have that
2: all right, man crush. you pick up the very first point, but more importantly, you take control of the board. What category are we going with next? All right, this is a weird spot
3: to pick this, but we're gonna go movies in round two uh we're gonna go to April seventh nineteen ninety three this movie right here it was not up my alley. In 1993, and you'll see why in a minute. However, this was like the talk of the town in the spring of 1993. And that's because there was a particular serious premise that surrounds this movie. And honestly, I am glad that I never watched this movie when it came out because I totally wouldn't have cared about the premise as a ninth grader at all. And honestly, like I, I would have, you know, I probably only would have been in this movie for the nudity. I'll be honest that it's the only reason I probably would have liked it, but our favorite movie experts of yesteryear were split on this one. Roger Ebert. He, uh, he actually gave this flick a thumbs up. So take that for what it is. If they both had given this a thumbs up, we'd probably think it was shit. So the fact that they were split on this one, we might have something here. And I, I watched this movie last night for the first time in my life. And as a married 43 year old, Actually, I'm still 42 for a couple of weeks, but we'll we'll give it. Oh, I'm 43 almost, uh, but it kind of hits home, uh, you know, and I went in thinking that this is probably uh, it was going to bore me, but I was actually pretty enthralled. I watched the entire thing and I was like, holy shit, it's not bad at the box office. This movie I absolutely cleaned up uh, for a drama. This movie brought in two hundred and sixty seven million dollars worldwide, which is nearly half a billion dollars in twenty twenty one. And it took home the coveted best kiss at the MTV Music Awards. So, you know, this shit's good. Uh, But on the flip side, it also won three Razzies, which I honestly I feel like they weren't warranted, but they got worse picture, worse screenplay and worse supporting actor. (laughs) I mean, I sometimes I think they just do it just to get some press uh, because it doesn't make sense. Uh, this is one of the first times we get to see Woody Harrelson play a serious starring role in a movie. Uh, you know, I know he's in White Man Can't Jump, but it's a little bit more serious than that. You got Robert Redford, who's exactly what you'd expect of an amazing actor. And then you have Demi Moore, who's absolutely stunning in this movie. Stunning, like gorgeous. Uh, in the 80s, I thought Demi was all right, but damn, she is hot in this movie. Uh, there were a lot of names that were associated with her role. They had uh, Nicole Kidman, Andy McDowell, and even Julia Roberts uh, was uh, was in the running for this one. Uh, Woody was like the 40th choice for the role. Uh, they initially offered this one to John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, and Tom Cruise. The three of them turned that down, and then it was also rumored Val Kilmer, Johnny Depp, uh, and Tim Robbins. But that's wow. it. I think they nailed this one in casting. So if you're in the movie, or if you're in the mood for a movie that's it's based on a book about billionaires who get whatever they want, you got topless Demi Moore, Woody as a miserable cuckold, Billy Bob Thornton playing a jobber, bizarre cameos by Billy Connolly and Rip Thorne, porn star Randy West playing Robert Redford, unnecessary <laughs> lipstick smearing, a remake that was snuffed because of the Me Too movement, and the age-old question, would you let your wife have sex with an old billionaire for a million bucks if you do do yourself a solid and go check out indecent proposal
2: Very good. I was more of a honeymoon in Vegas type of guy <laughs> than indecent proposal, but yeah,
3: when was the last time you watched I never watched it, and i like I think everybody is I'm looking at your reactions in the movie. That was mine going into this because I already, I did this once before. I had 1993, April 93, and I had a totally different movie that I loved. So going into this one, this wasn't exactly the movie that I would typically pick. Right. Uh, but watching it, I was like, I, I kind of felt for Woody Harrelson in this movie. It's, it's pretty fucked.
2: Well, Man Crush, you know, you picked a movie you wouldn't typically normal normally pick. I kind of did the same thing. Oh, so boy. we're going to go over to the Tampa Tribune, April 28th, 1977, and we get this nice big ad just above the fold that says Saturday in Tampa at eight o'clock, you can see the next big smash comedy before they see it in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, Rome, or anywhere else in the world, special Hollywood preview in big bold letters. All right. So let's go over to the next day's newspaper. where an article read. Sneak preview misleading. A spokesperson for United Artists confirmed yesterday that an advertisement placed in the Tribune promoting an exclusive special Hollywood preview was a little misleading. The ad, which ran in yesterday's part four, told readers that they would be seeing the film prior to its release in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, Rome, or anywhere else in the world. The film is Woody Allen's latest release, Annie Hall also starring Diane Keaton and Tony Roberts. The United Artists spokesperson yesterday said the film had already grossed nearly half a million in its first seven days since its actual world premiere on April 20th. Annie Hall was originally scheduled to be released May 6th, the spokesperson said, but in anticipation of that opening, UA launched an ad campaign that would permit a number of sneak previews across the country, including in the Tampa area. However, After the advertising copy was prepared and placed in newspapers, executives moved up the national premiere. The spokesperson said the advertising campaign could not be revamped in time, and thus a number of misleading advertisements about the sneak preview were placed. So I'm only picturing the guy who went and saw Annie Hall, and he's like, God, that movie sucked. All right, (laughs) next week, man, there is a special preview. This is going to be great. He goes, he sits in the theater, lights go down, camera rolls, it's fucking Annie Hall again. Son of a <laughs> bitch! <laughs> well, Annie Hall would go on to earn a little bit more than the half a million it started off with, grossing $36 million worldwide, but Annie Hall's success was never really based on dollars. The film would win four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and become one of the best love comedies of all time. In his 2002 book, Roger Ebert added it to his great movies list and commented with surprise that it has an instant familiarity despite uh, its age. So I give you Annie Hall, April 20th, 1977.
3: I like how we both brought like romance movies, (laughs) which we
2: never, (laughs) ever do. Ever. Weird. All right, well, let's go over to Andre Gower for the movies round. Uh, I had two to pick
0: from. Uh, going up against indecent proposal, wow, and going up against um, what was your crappy movie? Mark? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> Annie Hall. Um, Ever the salesman. <laughs> both are very hard to get, like to get through for different reasons. Yeah, uh, in just in, in this, I, I, per- in this personal agree. opinions yeah. mind. Yeah. uh i remember indecent proposal that was a tough that was a tough time it's a
3: tough watch but not tough because it's a bad and... movie because
0: no 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 movie. it's a it's a it's a well done movie yeah. that's why it makes you feel as just it's, really it's torn. a gut punch it's it, a gut it, punch for it, sure. it is and you don't feel torn you feel gut punch because they make the wrong decision yeah. yeah, and uh, <laughs> but, you know, I guess a million dollars wins every time. Uh, but now I think a million dollars means something different. Like if you had this movie today and it was some young, super attractive girl walking around Vegas with her doofus surfer boyfriend <laughs> and Elon Musk came up to the craps table and said, uh, I'll give you a million dollars that TikTok influencer kind of really attractive girl would be like, I made a million dollars last month, dude. (laughs) And how about 10 billion? I didn't have to get icky with you. So (laughs) the, you know, the tech billionaire would really have to up the game. Um Annie Hall can't be updated. It's just people walking around being annoying that they're never going to get together. Uh, it's just total wish fulfillment of people that just shouldn't know one another. Um with that said, I'm going campy, funny kind of other route because uh, this isn't a giveaway. I, this is not my wild card helper, <laughs> but I didn't have a lot of choices. You know, April's a t- tough month. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, unless it's an Easter weekend kind of release or something. But, the, you know, they wait for the big ones for July 4th, Memorial Day, July 4th, going into the summer, you know, with big with big blockbusters. And 86 was a giant year for movies uh only to be topped by 87 no, you know no no bias there at all cuz our movie bombed but um you know 86 had top gun like, i had a lot of lot of crazy huge movies but april meh, it had like critters <laughs> and it had the money pit oh, which all right. i have because of numbers and star quality names i have to go with the money pit so Money Pit uh, apparently had a ten million dollar budget. Um, it did five and a half million on its opening weekend, which technically isn't bad. Uh, that gets you at least one more weekend in the theaters, apparently. <laughs> uh, and it made fifty five million worldwide in, in, in its opening month. So that that's pretty good when you have um, the the cast that you had, which is phenomenal. But not necessarily as established as they are kind of today. Right. Namely, being Tom right. Hanks, um, who makes whatever movie he does so much better. Maybe he should have been in Annie Hall.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why didn't Woody Allen think of that? He should
2: only if he plays Diane Keaton's role. Yeah. I was gonna
0: say he could have <laughs> locked down. No, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, he could have locked he down Diane and...
2: Keaton. <laughs>
3: He was Hildegard, uh, right? In uh, Bosom Buddies, which <laughs> who was who he? Uh, he
0: uh he he was uh Buffy or Hildegard? he was yeah, cause Peter who who is yeah. one of my favorite human beings, was the other one. Yeah, and so I think he
3: was Scolari. Buffy. I, I he, he was
0: that. Buffy and Peter was Hildegard. Um, <laughs> Hildegard. I'm which talking. was the hilarious show. Um, yeah, man. Hilarious and show. launched a career and ironically, come if we're on a bosom buddies tangent here, fellas Uh, because I I don't have a lot to back up Money Pit, so let's go with this for a second. (laughs) Um, uh, Peter Scolari, who was starred with Tom Hanks and and Buddies, of course, hit show. When that show got canceled, guess who out of those two, if it's not obvious now with the leading question, uh, got his own network show as a leading man right after and Buddies ended? Was not Tom Hanks. It was Peter Scolari. Uh, Peter Scaleri did a show, uh, I believe it was ABC called uh, Baby Makes Five, about a young accountant and his young, attractive wife. They already had three kids, and she's pregnant. And lo and behold, in the, at the end of the pilot, she has twins, hence the name <laughs> Baby Makes Five.
1: Uh,
0: uh,
3: that is a deep ass cut right
1: there.
0: Oh, uh, it. it gets deeper. Hang on a fella, hang on Uh-oh. a minute, fellas. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. they go. Ha- I mentioned they had uh, three existing kids before the twins surprise arrival. Uh, And he's just this harried kind of, uh, you know, working journeyman accountant. Uh, But the way they spiced the show up is they had two great character actors, um, Priscilla Morrell and Blanche. uh, uh, Not Blanche. um, Oh, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the other grandmother's name, two polar opposites One was like like a swinger clubbing grandma and the other one was the you know sit and knit you know hats on the on the sofa they were fantastic at odds with each other uh and then they brought in great recurring roles with like uh eugene roach and um joe regalbuto because joe regalbuto was a new york theater buddy of peter scolari's and he brought his buddy in as a guest spot and did one of my favorite kind of scenes in any show ever. Cause he's always having, it's almost like Chevy chase on SNL. He's kind of having always sexy talk on the telephone at his desk <laughs> and he hangs up and you know, Peter's always living by vicar- Peter's characters, always living vicariously through him. He's like, who was that? Some new date. He's like, no, that was my cleaning lady. And um so it was just hilarious. And then Joe regular, shortly after baby makes five only went one mid placement season, mid placement. Res- mid-season replacement season uh, jumped on Murphy Brown and became Joe Regalbuto. So this was a launching pad for that. Uh, I did mention the three other kids. The younger daughter was Brandy Gold, uh, who was obviously Missy and Tracy Gold's younger sister and my agent's youngest daughter uh, at the time. Uh, the middle sister was none other than the redhead uh, awesome force of Jenny Lewis, who is a big rock star now, and uh, the 10-year-old son, was of course me.
3: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like, I was like, "How that? Would you read his autobiography? Like how- <laughs> of this
0: obscure show that no one knows?" No, I I was there. Uh, but what was cool about that is. Um, you know, his buddy Hanks and all these other cool actors, you know, would would come by and 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 hang because Peter's on a huge network show and no one else is. They're all working actors right. or starving actors. Uh, and uh, but this was a great experience for me because Peter was, you know, he's a performer and kind of a, a circusy guy and he's a, a he's a master juggler. And that's how I know how to juggle because Peter Scolari taught me on that show. And we used to warm up the audience and perform during breaks and peter because of that show was the reason i got to do the show circus of the stars twice because he brought me over there to that and um we we got to do that so that was pretty cool now back to my so (laughs) i'm hoping to sway the judges with that awesome background tangential story because the money pit sucks But you know, with with the you know, I, I mentioned the cast. You know, with Tom Hanks, uh, Shelley Long, you got Maureen Stapleton, uh, Joe Mantegna's in it, uh, mm-hmm. and you know a bunch of other characters. Um, but not to be overshadowed, you always have a winner movie if you have Yakov Shmerdov in it. Oh, so this is yes, what puts absolutely. Money Pit over the top. Um, and I think it just goes, if you go back and watch Money Pit, Shelley Long. Huge at the time, you know, big TV, you know, TV career starting with, you know, everything else, but, you know, obviously Cheers. And then Tom Hanks, they were a great duo. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, Money Pit, you know, it, when you're, we were all kids when Money Pit came out, so it didn't really make sense. We just thought, why would you buy a shitty house? Yes. <laughs> but then you grow up and you buy houses and you're like, ah, inspections yeah, <laughs> got
2: it yeah see i can't watch money pit for the same reason man crush can't watch
3: They completely tie together because like when you watch that as a kid you're like who gives a fuck but when you watch it as an adult both those movies you get punched in the gut because you everyone yes. you're like oh man that's tough like what do you do yes, that's right <laughs> and with with money pit personally
0: uh i had more of a successful Uh, venture but i bought and gutted and renovated a house on my own as well (laughs) so i feel the pain but uh i had i had a much better outcome with it than uh than they did that's (laughs) and i didn't have a tub fall through the you know the two floors (laughs) knock on wood but i did I I did the only way I could get the existing old '90s jacuzzi tub out of the master bath is I had to chop it up with a sawzall into pieces. So <laughs> fun. there, there you go.
2: <laughs> all right, Joe Finley, let's kick it up to you for the ruling on the movies round.
1: Wow, it's actually a really tough one. Um, they are all coming from really different uh, standpoints. Like, like, very—they're all very different movies. Uh, <laughs> Annie <they>? Hall. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. Uh, But Annie Hall is one of those ones that people always look back on as a classic. I never really got Woody Allen and it's only aged poorly thanks to, you know, things we know. But uh, I don't know. He's, He's one of those guys where it's like, you know, you see a movie and it's like the really weird looking guy with the really hot girl and you're like, why are we doing this? Like King of Queens? King of Queens. Any, well, anything with that. Um, well, well, that he, was a
0: huge early 2000s trope. I mean, look, according yeah. to Jim, King of Queens, it was a thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Oh, absolutely. And it just happens over and over again. And I'm just like, I don't get it. And I mean, his humor was never my humor with the exception of Bananas, which I really enjoyed. Um, So great. Okay. Anyhow, uh, sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> Fuck off, Mark. No, not fuck off, Mark. That was I, I I would say like from classic perspective, he brings the biggest movie. Uh, but I just didn't care. Uh and uh then you look at indecent proposal. Uh I think that people more people probably know indecent proposal as the reference that other people are using in their own movies, then they even are aware of the movie. They're like, Oh, this is an indecent proposal situation that's going on or whatever. And not even clicking into the fact that it is uh, this movie that they're talking about. Not everybody, but it's, it's a thing as well. Money pit. I loved it is full of, again, it's full of these like kind of iconic comedy people, whatever. And, Tom Hanks is amazing. And this is before he just skyrocketed to the moon. Uh, It's a movie I've seen of all of them. It's the one I've seen the most, but again, it doesn't maybe have the legs. So what I have to do is I have to, I have to go with the movie that, I am taken back to the most and that would be through that reference. And I'm going to have to go with indecent proposal on it because wow. it's like of all the people too, like, and uh of all the movies that, you know, made that reference or spoofed that bit. Uh, one of them was a Woody Harrelson movie Kingpin when God Chris God. Elliott does the indecent proposal. And, uh, <laughs> I, it hurts me a lot because I know that my wife would take that deal for a 15% off uh coupon at bed, <laughs> bath and beyond. But, uh, yeah that's what i gotta go with it you know raw, I i I raw, can't though.
0: complain I can't it it is a much better, better movie than the other two, <laughs> but you know you're only we're hamstrung by the month that we get that's right that's the tough uh, thing, man you got the cards you're dealt now now Joe does it sway uh voting for me in the future uh if I bring a Woody Harrelson story up um that sort of ties in? Uh, with his time on Cheers, which was shot on the Paramount lot uh, while I was shooting a show called Mr. President right down the street on the Paramount lot. I was on stage 19, which used to be the Happy Days stage, which happened to be right next to Webster. But at lunch, if you've ever been to the Paramount lot, behind the big like fake sky kind of uh, mural wall is like a storage area. And there's this huge, pretty well-made half-court basketball court and me being a basketball player, of course, uh, we used to play at ha- uh, at lunchtime, and I would play almost daily three on three with Woody Harrelson.
1: Oh, that's is amazing! This not, uh,
0: does this not? Do I get my? Do I get? Do I get? Do I win?
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm I, I'm putting all the
0: points on the board. All all I've got is all I've got is stories. Except for my next stuff. My next stuff is pretty good. You're gonna it's gonna be hard to compete with my next. Stuff.
1: I'm I'm gonna be honest. That one, I mean. Given my mood, I could have gone any way on any one of those, because like I said, Annie Hall is definitely the most classic of it. I would say that of the three movies, my, the one I enjoy to watch the most is Money Pit. But then it's just that, you know, that reference where it's, uh, you know, what Man oh, yeah. says all the time. It's got legs, baby.
0: It, yeah. And I mean, yeah. it's a tough and it's got Redford. I mean, which, you know, this yeah, was, dude, he's, this was he's sort great, of shortly man. before he started phoning it in, even though he was still good.
3: <laughs> yeah right. yeah uh, i mean he had he had hackers then he had this and then kind of just uh, didn't i i can't even remember you mean sneakers sneakers yeah sneakers oh yeah. uh, such a good movie well, oh, a good i love movie. sneakers such
0: i always like him and everything
1: movie. lions for lambs again you could kind of tell he was phoning that one in it's still i'm like he's 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 kicking the crap out of everybody in this movie yeah
3: he's he's amazing
1: <laughs> and before we get to the next round seven
3: degrees of uh, andre gower uh-huh. I just mixed I just missed this one. Uh, March 31st of 1993 they recorded the final episode of Cheers where Shelley Long came back for that. Right. And I read this whole article because it was actually the article was released in mid-April. So I was I had to keep digging to find out when they actually filmed this and it was the ah. last day. So it was completely out. But so, they were So what you're was, saying
0: is that's not your TV choice. No, no, didn't no, no, no,
3: no, it's, not, it's <laughs> not my TV choice, but it was, it, they were saying it was very ho-hum, uh, nobody was very, like, uh, you know, I don't, t- is touchy-feely? No, not touchy-feely, like, they <laughs> <laughs> they, they just, they they weren't very, uh, like, loving to one another, according to all the articles, they just didn't give a shit, they were like, all right, Oh, yeah, no,
0: I bet it by that time, I think there were so many big, uh, uh, I don't want to say egos, but big uh, orbits, you know a lot of gravity with individual you know right. celestial beings right. by, by the time that show uh, ended, including probably Woody, but even all the other you know George Went and and yeah. um, John Ratzenberger and and Rhea Perlman and all that who we used, again we would see each other all the time at lunch like in the in the in the commissary and stuff. And I remember the first time I ever met Danny DeVito. You know I'm 14 years old doing a TV show and I've never been tall. Uh, <laughs> and I turned around and I was like. Who is this guy standing, but who's this guy standing as Danny DeVito and Rio Pearlman and their kid? I was like, who's in the stroller? Is that Danny's? I was like, wait a minute. And uh, so it was, but Cheers was a huge show. Yeah. Uh, and ironically, again, my tangential stories is all I have here, folks. Uh, <laughs> but when I was doing that show, Mr. President, uh, it starred George C. Scott, who had come to television wow. for the first time ever. And the show was produced by uh, Johnny Carson and Ed Weinberger, who was one of the biggest names in television. And George C. Scott, I guess his, uh, you know, his uh, openness to do television was just, I'll do do television if I'm the highest paid actor ever in the history of television. And he got something like $550,000 an episode for this new sitcom on fox and ted danson was three stages down the road and went wait a minute i just won all the (laughs) awards for my show i want a fucking million
3: dollars (laughs) and that's when ted i think that's when ted
0: danson started getting a million dollars
3: an episode Insane. and now people make buku books (laughs) yeah i mean a million dollars a week was a huge number back then well, it's
2: it still
0: is, really. is it, uh, yeah like i would yeah for you unless guys on, maybe unless you're on tiktok
4: yeah.
2: all right man crush you pick up two points heading into the last one point round uh what category are we going with next all right with all that
3: television talk uh let's go music uh, let's, go, uh, let's go april 20th mark's favorite day of 1993 and uh you know this album it has a soft spot for me because uh the band's tour and support of this album was the first concert that I ever attended sans parents. So it really stands out for me. Uh, Almost every morning that I attended high school, little story, how I got these, I, I was late, nearly late, like every day, every damn morning. I would be waiting in my kitchen for my friend Brent to come pick me up. This dude lived on the block right next to mine, but he was late every fucking day. So after a while, I, I caught on to the fact that our local radio station was always doing giveaways around like 730 in the morning, which happened to be the time that most kids were in school already or on their way to school. So since I was sitting in my kitchen like a jerk off waiting for Brent to show up, I would listen to WRV, which is my local 92.7, and I would wait for these contests. And think about it. Half their listeners in that demographic were busy doing something else. So I was right there to win whatever contest they had in the morning. Caller number nine. Shit. No problem. I I probably won over a dozen CDs from them and I won concert tickets to this tour being late sucks, but it worked for me. So, uh, this album right here, it was the band's 11th studio album. Uh, It was their first album in four years. Uh, The album would go on to sell 20 million copies worldwide. It went seven times platinum in the United States. It had the first ever digital download. Uh, It was from an unreleased track called uh, Head First, which I think was a Brent selection. Not Brent, the the dickhead that was always late picking me up from (laughs) school, but Brent Hand from Hysteria 51, I think. Yeah, I think last year, it might have been the episode with uh, with Ronda Shear on it. He talked about that right there. But it this album also featured seven singles. Seven. Seven. Se- How many albums do you know with seven singles?
2: It's not many. Uh,
3: not many. I don't either. Uh, but surprisingly, none of those seven singles would hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. However, most of these, they would land around the top 20. And they absolutely lived on MTV. And let's face facts. I mean, at this point in the decade, MTV was way more important than the billboards were. If you dominated, say, like, Dial MTV, you were played all day, every day. And these songs did just that. And not only were the songs catchy, but the videos were also like mini movies. So you had uh, Living on the Edge with Ed Furlong, Eat the Rich, Crying with Alicia Silverstone, Amazing, Amazing with Alicia Silverstone again. And uh, Jason London was in that one too, I think. And then Crazy, which featured Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler, mm. and Alicia motherfucking Silverstone <laughs> again. Uh, and I mean, by now, I'm sure everyone has figured this one out. It's Get a Grip by Aerosmith. Do you guys remember how much they dominated the MTV Airways? And it's, it's weird because you had the grunge era, like 90 through '90. To early 93 and then Aerosmith just fucking killed it for like a year
2: yeah it that's was where I stopped that- liking Aerosmith you just kind of got, got burnt out they, were the, they saturated at the airwaves they saturated MTV they were in cameos and movies they were on Saturday Night Live everywhere it's
3: amazing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's what I got it's get a grip
0: Not bad. You can't you can't go wrong with Liv Tyler and Alicia Silverstone. So it's multiple times. (laughs) So it's uh, it's
3: weird, though, now, because then this is we're talking 93. And I think uh, that was their last video, the last single that came out from the album, which is late 93. So Alicia Silverstone and Liv Tyler were both under 18 at the time. So like at the time, all of us were like, wow, they're fucking hot like everyone was like oh this is a great video but now you watch the video and you're like this is bad I can't even I can't watch this
0: well yeah because we're grungy old dudes now it's like <laughs> it's but weird, back though. then we were teenagers yeah, so it was yeah. okay and even with the you know the live the, I'm a huge live Tyler fan I think she's absolutely celestial you know back in back in you know oh, still sure. now but even 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 more so back then but I think they were playing on there was a theme going on at that time um, and Alicia Silverstone was a little bit more um, down to earth, homey girl next door, even though, you know, you know, uh, being, you know, and Clueless was, you know, was airheady, but because she was in a ton of videos, not just everybody else, yeah. including Aerosmith videos, but everything else as well. Uh, but it was this kind of maybe over sexualization of actually really young girls, Right but they're so beautiful that you almost give it a pass uh but it wasn't geared towards the adults at the time but Liv tyler because the other one that they really kind of because so striking when you see them on camera like uh like a young uh, mila jovovich was absolutely stunning uh and she's in two moon junction you're like what who's what is happening here uh, so that was just sort of, like, indicative of that
3: time. <laughs> you know what's yeah, weird, well, too, about the Alicia Silverstone thing? Sorry, Mark. The um, She emancipated from her parents at 15. Smart. So she, <laughs> so she didn't have to uh, go by the child labor laws and, and all that kind of shit. So she was in everything at, at yeah. 15, 16 years old.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is Aerosmith we're talking about here. Steven Tyler did get the parents to basically sign over a four, their 14-year-old daughter to Steven Tyler so he could take her on the road with her. So,
3: Is that allegedly, or do we need to use yeah. allegedly? Like how does it work? Let's, let's use it anyway. Let's, <laughs> use, yeah. let's
2: use allegedly, <laughs> just in case.
3: Yeah. I'm choking
0: on my tea. Okay.
2: All right, gentlemen, my music pick is a tour. Now, it's actually a tour that was set to start on February 27th in Fort Worth, Texas. But the tour was delayed due to the singer contracting laryngitis. So, fortunately for me, Led Zeppelin's monumental 1977 tour of America began April 1st, 1977 at the Dallas Memorial Auditorium, where, according to ads and posters, you could pick up a ticket to this show for the low, low price of $7.00. And fifty cents. Now, <laughs> if you wanted the premium seats though, you gotta be prepared to shell out upwards of nine dollars and fifty cents. So we'll turn it over to Kaleidoscope guest reviewer Doug Pullen for a local review. The spotlight <laughs> hit Jimmy Page. His arms extended warmly into the recent sold out Dallas crowd, as if he wanted to embrace each and every member of it. As Page and the rest of his group, drummer John Bonham, bassist John Paul Jones, and Vocalist Robert Plant took the stage, the predominantly adolescent crowd went wild. Quickly, Led Zeppelin was kicking off the first its first American tour in over two years, with a feverish version of The Song Remains the Same. In April of 1977, the tour would roll through most of the Midwest, ending the month of April at the Pontiac Silverdome, now for a show that at the time was the largest audience ever for a single-act rock show. The tour would actually be cut short, unfortunately, and come to an end July 24th, when Robert Plant's five-year-old son died of a stomach illness. Now, the song All of My Love is actually written as a tribute to his son, Uh, so that's my pick. April Music of 1977, the start of the final United States tour for Led Zeppelin.
3: Why is it that every time Led Zeppelin comes up on the show, it's something horrible? I mean yeah, not the <laughs> tour, but the fact that you had to bring up his five year old son dying. And I think every other time that they've come up, it's like the uh you know, John Bottom dying in eighty, and then uh the awful live eight appearance, I think was the other yeah. time that yeah. they've come
2: up. And this tour, this seventy seven tour, was just plagued with problems from start to finish. So you could actually do a whole episode just on the seventy seven tour, which we it's might crazy. do.
3: When we start, well, actually, our Patreon is started once we get 50 people on that Patreon. I'm going to drop a little spot here. We will start that grimy 70s show where we go in depth on some fucked up shit from the 70s because
2: there's a lot of it.
3: Yeah, like Annie Hall.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's toss it down to Andre Gower for the music round.
0: Okay. So for music, you guys picked... Man Crush, you started out with a tour, but it was really about the album, get a grip with Aerosmith, uh, um, and uh, Mark started a tour, you know, cause that's how we experience music. And that's the way everybody wants to go and listen to these rad bands or these artists is, is here live performances. But Man Crush, you made a good point, uh, even in 93, especially in 93, that if you were big on MTV, Uh, you, that's where it was at the time for a long, for a long time. And then MTV stopped showing music and they started building houses or some shit. Um, But um, I mean, at least it was vanilla ice, but um, it's, this is, I, I think this is an obvious no brainer. Um, It is one of my all time favorite songs personally, but it was also released in my birthday month of 1986 that's not my birthday year. That's just my birthday month. <laughs> um, and so I will I will tease into it. We all we all know what it is. Um, you know, uh, in April of '86, song released by English rock musician Peter Gabriel. Uh, it was uh, released as the lead single from his fifth studio album. So on 21st of april which happens to be my sister's birthday mine's the 27th in case anybody wants to send me a (laughs) hundred (laughs) dollars
3: it's my parents anniversary
0: it quickly reached number one in canada uh it reached number one on the billboard hot 100 charts in the united states and number four oddly being a native (laughs) we went to number four on the uk uh singles (laughs) charts uh mostly thanks to the popularity and the world crushing attention that the music video got, which of course is sledgehammer. So when sledgehammer came out, everybody's mind was blown. We all record, you know, we all set our VCRs on, you know, either Friday afternoon to catch Richard blade on VH one or Saturday afternoons. We know we'd maybe get sledgehammer on MTV and, (laughs) um, he, the the thing about it obviously it's the song the album you know kind of did okay but this song was just galactic i mean it just yeah, the song yeah. went because it's a good song but the video just blew everybody's mind and it, it won nine mtv video music awards which is still the most all-time of any single video uh won the best british video uh the next year and was nominated for three grammys Including best male rock performance, record of the year, and song of the year, uh, but again, all of the attention is really on the video and the visual representation that they did with all the uh, pixelation, stop motion, and claymation. Uh, with of of uh, Peter Gabriel's, uh, apparently he was under a sheet of glass for like sixteen hours while they did all the other stop motion on top of him, and then cut all that together with uh, you know all the technology and. And maybe an ibm you know pc convertible
3: (laughs) super computer
0: but uh it it, it's considered um number four on mtv's 100 greatest music videos ever made uh it's also been declared mtv's number one animated video of all time and there's been quite a few animated videos because it's a great way to you know express kind of some uh uh, uh, media there It, it just i mean you almost don't even need the stats But something that's really cool is in that year, it was uh, nominated for British Single of the Year. It won British Video of the Year. Again, it's going to be all videos. It was nominated for three Grammys, didn't win any of it. But it won all those nine MTV Video Music Awards, (laughs) which were Best Editing, Best Art Direction, Best Visual Effects, Best Direction, Best Overall Performance, Most Experimental Video, Best Concept Video, Best Male Video, and of course, Video of the Year. But what's also rad is that it was nominated for Best Video of the Year at the Soul Train Music Awards, which means the video everybody liked. (laughs) Sure, yeah. So it's, uh, and and it it peaked as a song at number one, uh, you know, like I said, very quickly on, let's say just call it US Billboard. But like you said, Man Crush, you know, if you're on MTV killing it, Billboard doesn't really matter, except for that helps with sales and, you know, radio play, but this thing was crushing it everywhere. Uh, you know, and so it went on uh you know to number one at three or four different US Billboard charts all at the same time. So my music choice uh from the album so is Peter Gabriel's
4: Sledgehammer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there
4: you go. my name
2: all right, Judge Joe Finley. Swing down that gavel, just like a sledgehammer, on the music round. All right, well,
1: uh, another great round, guys. Uh, Again, breaks down to a giant band, a giant album, and a giant song. And so, I mean, I look at all of the things, obviously, the, uh, the Led Zeppelin tour being the final tour having the that death being delayed all, all sorts of stuff uh with that tour is um it's a crazy story in and of itself uh get a grip uh that hit me right at the right time I was just going into high school uh no not quite even uh but it was
3: Wait, I how like the you
1: Joe I don't know so what you what's your year again? <laughs> you're not ninety three. 93. 93. okay, yeah, so it was just before I went to high school i'm thirty nine um so i re- I remember hearing that song all the time, or the songs on that thing all the time. Uh, "Eat the rich still slaps. It's a great way to start out that album, and I heard so much. Just I heard so much Aerosmith in that period because, like you said, they were all over yes. the things. I don't get uh, MTV. I've got much music, but they were all over that too. Uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, Alicia and Liv changed my life. Uh, <laughs> but he got uh, carpal tunnel that year. No, yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a rough year. But but I was I got carpal tunnel playing Revolution X. The uh. Sure, The Aerosmith gun game, where when you lost, he said, don't give up. Oh, man. But (laughs) uh, so, I mean, that album's fantastic, but I have to give it to innovation. And that music video is insane for the time. I mean, like it's it's one of those things where looking back on it, like you could get one of your kids to watch it and they'd be like, oh, my God, this thing sucks. And you're like, no, you don't understand. It's like showing them Pong. Right. Yeah. You're like, no, do you know what this may like everything you like is because this had to exist. Uh, so I've got to give it to Sledgehammer. It's-
3: I, I can't fault you on that. I I think <laughs> like it, especially in 1986. So you had, what, five years of MTV at that point, And what videos stood out? Not the yeah. songs, but the videos. What what videos stood out during that period besides Thriller? Yeah. and that's the other one you think of is sledgehammer
0: yeah i think i think there's three one thriller because it was a mini movie mm-hmm, with, yeah. you know with the extended yep you know land and of,
3: they sold this the shit
2: it, right
0: yeah. and you know it had creature effects and you know it was you know then the album was huge obviously um and and then sledgehammer but wedged in between there and sledgehammer is really actually just camera tech with pixelation, low animation and claymation was, mo- it was mostly kind of the stop moves, a lot of stuff going on, right. mm-hmm. which was certainly innovative, but just more kind of creative and time consuming. But remember when everybody lost their minds over money for nothing by Dire Straits. Yes. Oh yeah, that was the other it one. It was, I was all of. Yeah. computer generated, and people were—they're like, "Oh my God, the computers are taking over!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, like it's all over. Look how awesome this is. But you know, Joe, you made a point. It's like you watch kids see a—you know—a computer generated image. <laughs>
3: That is do it money for phone. nothing.
0: It's so like, bad.
3: I just did it that.
0: So <laughs> bad. You know, the guy just gets up out of the chair, and it's just—it's just, it's so simple. Like, like there's three-year-olds on an iPad right now that have better kind of animated animation skills than money for <laughs> nothing. But that's a great song too, because Dire Straits was a great band. But uh, yeah, I agree. Good choice. Uh, Sledgehammer was absolutely—it uh, was game—it was game-changing. <laughs>
2: yeah for sure all right andre you pick up a point heading into our first two-point rounds what category are we going with next oh i
0: get to pick huh all right right. well i think i'm gonna i'm i know what to do here um no i'm gonna play strategy um yes tv all right (laughs) let's go with tv Oh, I go first since I picked. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, honestly, there's the, I really don't have a lot to say about this because there wasn't a lot that opened in a you know TV stuff where someone comes out because it's a weird time. So you're either going with movies of the week or like a special or some sort of interesting kind of syndicated produced thing, uh, and that's really all your choices. And I almost went with. Um, uh, return to Mayberry, which was, you know, they yeah. brought back a TV movie for Andy Griffith's show, which probably could have stand stood alone as my choice because it brought back 16 original cast members. And it was the highest grossing or highest rated TV movie of 1986 for all the networks, which there was only wow. three, which <laughs> were only three. Um, uh, but that was on NBC, even though when I love it, I love the Andy Griffith's show. Uh, you know, one of the original OG kids, you know, uh, former child stars being Ron Howard.
3: <laughs> can you, uh, can you whistle the theme song? Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and if you don't know, Mayberry is actually a fictional town, of course, on like the Universal lot, but uh, it's uh, formed after a town in mid north north carolina called mount airy off of highway 77 uh by um uh in and Andy Griffith who's from north carolina and mount airy is kind of rhymes with mayberry and uh, that's where you get that show oh, sorry we got on mayberry that's weird sorry weird tangent again <laughs> uh but th- that was the only one with kind of some history and some coolness to it my actual choice <laughs> i think needs no like explanation Because it was probably the most hyped thing ever on television that had the most disappointing conclusion. And that was Geraldo Rivera's opening of Al Capone's vault,
3: Yes, (laughs) which is that has come up on the show before, but it wasn't in a year battle. It was uh, it was a genre thing. And uh, they did find some boxes in a dusty room. That's right. And
2: some broken (laughs) wine bottles. But you're 100 percent right. There's not much to say about it. Because there's there wasn't much. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was the the highest rated thing on yeah. television, I think, of all of 1986. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: absolutely was. That's its only yeah. accolade because it was so hyped for weeks. But what I don't get is like, because <laughs> it was sort of it was supposed to be live, right? And it was yeah. a whole live thing. And I, I don't know if it was truly live or it was a little bullshit like the original ra- reality TV. Like they know what's in there, but I think they probably would have planted something at least, you know, like a pair of underwear or something like, yeah, yeah, a skull or something. But it might have been live (laughs) because at one point, Jerry Rivers was an actual journalist and, you know, would cover some good stuff. So I think they were doing it the, you know, the kind of journalistic way and break through the brick wall and go in there. There's nothing in there. How disappointing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to have this hype and be like
3: kidding
0: the worst man <laughs> i ha-
3: i think that was my selection as well for the uh whatever episode that was i think it was a was it the true crime episode that we had i think it might have been yeah
1: if you'll go back you'll find that it was joe Findlay's pick actually
3: oh was it yes oh. it was oh okay <laughs> all right was it no you weren't on the true crime show oh yes you were on the true crime show I've you been in that episode.
1: I've been in a lot of episodes now. Yes, I was starting
3: have. to look back and I'm like, oh, man, maybe you guys are going to get
1: sick of me. <laughs> you know what's later? really
3: cool, though, that I've noticed? Um, <laughs> if you do this show a lot, you're an uh-huh. excellent judge. Joe knows yeah, how to like break it. it down and he knows what to look at. I like it. Oh, thank I, you. I like it. I'm not pand- I'm not. Uh, I'm, not pandering. I'm I,
1: not pandering. You all should be. That's the problem though. I'm very susceptible to that.
0: Well, you were cause you were giving him a little shit there by saying, like, you weren't on that show. That wasn't your pick. That was mine. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait oh. a minute. He's the judge tonight. I saw it switch <laughs> right there, man crush. I saw it
3: switch.
2: Way to butter your what a way to butter your toast.
3: <laughs> I butter my rolls. That of <laughs> All
2: right. Well, let's see if Judge Joe Finley likes my pick for the television round here. Because the biggest thing on television, April of nineteen seventy seven was a six-and-a-half-hour, two-part television miniseries that began on April 3rd and ended on April 10th, just in time for Easter. Nominated for two Primetime Emmy Awards and starring Christopher Plummer, Ian McShane, Ernest Borgnine, and the sexy Anne Bancroft as Mary Magdalene, I present to you the television event, Jesus of Nazareth. Ooh. The first half of Franco Zeffirelli's. Television film on the life of Jesus Christ. It swamped all competing programs on Sunday night, according to the Nielsen overnight ratings for New York and Los Angeles. The telecast, which covered most of the prime time period on NBC, drew a 46% share of the audience in New York and a 53% share in Los Angeles. On the basis of those ratings, the NBC research predicts a total audience of 90 million viewers for the entire presentation. Now, side note, the U.S. population in 1977 was only 220 million, and this program garnered 90 million of that. Now, the director originally considered Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino for the role of Jesus, uh, but settled on Robert Powell, who looked so much like Jesus in pictures that the crew actually refused to use foul language around him. <laughs> Uh, beginning before the nativity and extending throughout the crucifixion and resurrection, the miniseries brings to life together all the sweeping drama in the life of Jesus, as told by the gospel. Spoilers, he dies in the end. It's Jesus of Nazareth, April 1977. Did they uh, nail Robert Powell's of the cross at the end of the production? <laughs>
3: <laughs> How many of those 90 million people actually stayed awake for the entire thing?
2: Yeah, would have had higher ratings with Pacino. Yeah.
3: yeah, I, I can't, I don't. I'm trying to picture that screen test.
0: Like,
1: huah, what do we got here? We're like, uh, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? We got some Romans. We got some Romans. Ah, hey, this is gonna be my last uh, supper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, man crush. Let's hear what you have for the television round.
3: Oh, man, I could not be any different than both of your selections. <laughs> All right, so let's go April 6th, 1993. And it's not very often that we ever get to select something from a basic cable channel. Actually, I'm not sure. Sports channel, was that basic cable or premium cable in 93? I I'm.
2: I think it started on basic and then moved to premium.
3: Yeah, because I think, um, I don't know, it was right around the time I had the black box. But we used to watch our if the Mets games weren't on WPIX, they were on Sports Channel and we got it. So I'm not really sure. Um, Anywho, uh, this show, it was launched on a Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on a regional Philadelphia feed for Sports Channel America. This is a pretty deep cut. I mean, not on a major network, not a national feed and on before primetime. So it sounds like this has the makings to be. A real gem. Uh, Such a deep cut. I mean, newspapers.com, the TV listings from 1993 didn't even show the correct name of the show. I'll take that back. It's correct, but it's not the name that we knew it as. I'm always looking for wrestling. We look at TV listings again, like we mentioned last week. Usually every night, except for tonight, we do uh, our TV listings on Facebook. Uh, where we go back, and we pick a selection in time, and we put you know six different programs, and let people see what was on television. And I'm always looking for wrestling when we do those. And if if you want to check that out, www.facebook.com/forward/slash/Dueling Decades. There's almost eighty thousand people on there now. It's uh, it's blowing up. So go and check that out. But I'm sure wrestling fans know this, but maybe some others don't. So prior to Extreme Championship Wrestling, the name of the company was actually Eastern championship wrestling and in the early days before paul Heyman, uh, before paul I mean took over or paulie dangerously whatever you want to call him ecw owner it was todd gordon he had the late <laughs> hot stuff eddie gilbert was uh he was running the show and he was doing all the booking so technically the name eastern championship wrestling is the correct name in the tv listings for, for what i found about a year later, that's they switched the name over to ECW in the newspapers. They dropped the full name, and it pretty much stuck all the way up to late 1999 when ECW, they, they were picked up on TNN, and they were called ECW Hardcore TV. But this particular show right here, it would end up running for 401 episodes, and it stayed on the air all the way up until December 31st, 2000. Of course, then they were bought out by uh, WWE or w, WWF at the time still. In 2001, but even though this show, it was fairly regional at the time, it's super important to the wrestling landscape. We've talked about this on previous episodes. Wrestling in the early part of the 90s was honestly pretty shitty as a whole. I think we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It w- it was kind of like no man's land in the early 90s. It wasn't great. It wasn't super bad, but it was just like kind of in the middle. Nobody like some people watched, some people didn't. You had WCW, they just ended things with Jim Crockett promotions. So they weren't an NWA spot anymore. And the WWF, they had a few bright spots, except for the fact that they were regurgitating like all these 80s wrestling personas that just didn't really inspire new viewers. So ECW comes along and they completely changed the game. This right here, this was the Attitude Era before the Attitude Era. And honestly, I believe this. If you don't have ECW on television, you don't get the Attitude Era. There, I mean, there's tons of examples that I could toss out about this, but I'll leave you with one. And I was thinking about this earlier. So in 1995, WCW, they fire Steve Austin. Austin stops by ECW for a cup of tea. He's there for basically, I don't know, like six, eight months. And Austin, he's still dealing with a knee injury. So he has nothing to do in the beginning. So he just has time to develop his craft. So Paul Heyman, he tutors him in the art of cutting a promo. So he's there just cutting these insane promos as he had never done before. Mark's a WCW guy. Was he cutting any of these promos in WCW?
2: Not even close. Not even close. No.
3: And he basically develops like this whole stone cold persona During that like six to eight month period while he's in ECW, he doesn't call himself Stone Cold, but it's, he's building it right there. This is, this is the foundation for that whole thing. So I look at it like this without ECW on television, do you get Stone Cold Steve Austin? And if you don't get Stone Cold Steve Austin, do you get the attitude era? If you don't get the, like, do you have the Monday night wars? I mean, this this is something to ponder. If you don't have, this ECW television show—what happens to the whole landscape of wrestling during that decade?
2: Yeah, well, you bring up Steve Austin, you got to bring up Brian Pillman as oh, well. Oh yeah,
3: there's a uh-huh. lot.
2: Yeah. Brian Pillman did this similar thing. He went to ECW, ECW, and totally revamped his whole character and became, you know, that wild man that we saw later on.
3: Sure, I went for the low hanging fruit here and. Uh, Side note: I saw his son at the airport when I was in Jacksonville uh, last month. <laughs> cool guy. Uh, but in any event, this is the debut of uh, ECW on television February or February April sixth, nineteen
2: ninety three. All right, Joe Finley, let's kick it up to you for the ruling on the television round. Wow, I,
1: another good one, guys. Um, the enormity of the audience for the uh, Jesus of Nazareth thing can't be uh ignored but it's one of those things too it's like i always kind of minimize it in the 70s because it's like how much did it really have to compete with you know it was either that or chain smoking
2: (laughs) (laughs) the clergy did a lot of both yeah
1: (laughs) i really like jesus of Nazareth. it was really good um so that yeah so that i mean that one's that uh ecw Oh man, this is like my, my choice between these two is tough. Uh, ECW is again, it's exactly what you said, man crush. The, uh, the amount of people who wouldn't have existed in the way that we know them, uh, it all comes through there. And I've seen some great documentaries on ECW and how they struggled and how uh, a lot of people had, you know, went through there and, You know, earn their chops one way or another through there and then going to WCW, then WWE or any cyclical way. But it all filters through ECW to make them better. Uh, There was a certain raw aspect of it. No pun intended with WWE. But uh, but yeah, and people like uh, Rob Van Dam and all these people, I don't think that them as they were would have even had a spot. In the other shows at that time, despite their skill, because they were too, it was too outside of their box. And then it was, they realized they had to change their box to kind of catch up to what these guys were doing. And like you said, hence the uh Attitude Era is born. Uh Now, I mean, a million reasons why I like the pick for uh, the Geraldo one, because yes, indeed, that was a pick of mine, and if it's good enough for me then, it should be good enough for me now, right? Uh, <laughs> I think it has a broader uh, frame of reference for people. I mean, you know, The Simpsons sang about nothing at Al Capone's vault. Nobody ever mentioned the debut of WCW, or ECW. Uh, so I just, by this much, I mean... Just a teeny tiny tug of war. The rope is just over the side uh, for Geraldo in this one. Dude, and can I you give imagine it to the 90s without <laughs> the Attitude Era? What are you talking about? A lot of people could imagine the 90s without wrestling, though.
0: Can, I couldn't. Can you imagine television today, which is all faux sensationalist journalism, without Geraldo's Capone vault?
3: well are all those still there <laughs> i know right. yeah.
0: it's all that was the beginning of sensationalism that was supposed to be a news story
1: usually you get fired after uh giving away military secrets live on the air but not this guy <laughs> remember when he got punched by uh kkk members and yes.
3: broke his nose yeah
0: there was a chair he got the chair
3: Oh, is it? Yeah, chair? the that's chair right. flew.
0: Across. Oh, there you go. The original ECW. <laughs> the original ECW with the chair. <laughs> oh,
3: so maybe that's where that they got the idea. Where it stemmed from. Yeah. Okay, All right. that's the All attitude. Right. Era. Look, him
0: getting his nose broken was the best thing on air it ever happened to him. Oh, absolutely. Ever happened to him? He he's the original social media kind of guy that and learned how to play it.
1: Yeah. Well, and it was probably the biggest thing to happened to the genre of tabloid TV. Does Jerry Springer exist without that or boot camp Sally Jesse Raphael? Hey, Sally was awesome. <laughs> so, no, so, they were all, I mean, they all have their place, but it's just, you know, as it developed, everybody kind of started doing the same thing. Donahue
0: tried to do it right. And then yeah. Oprah came in and did it right, but better and more you know, uh, attractive to a bigger audience, yeah. which was actually your daytime audience. And so those two kind of battled and then she crushed him. Yeah, so they had to, but that was legit stuff. Those were real, like the other, the other channels had to go the other way.
3: I think Andre should lose <laughs> a point there for not bringing up Ricky Lake. Uh, that was much
0: later. I'm in the eighties. You have nineties.
3: Oh, yeah, but, come on. It's Ricky Lake, bro. Come on. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs>
2: she is great. All right, Andre, you picked up two points in that round. You jump out to the lead, heading into the final round, the news round. Now you have the opportunity to start off here or defer to one of us.
0: I
3: defer. Oh, he's playing
2: the game. All right. All right, guys. Well, I'll start off the news round. And uh, my news story I found tucked away on page 23 of the Daily News in New York, April 26, 1977. A building that last functioned as a television studio in 1973 for Love of Life will find new life tonight as a discotheque. Does the city need a new discotheque? The trio of owners, Steve Rubell, Ian Schrager, and Jack Dushy think so. There's been a lull, Ru- Rubell explained. Uh, the last one to open was Regine's, and that fashionable dance spot opened a year ago. Actually, the day that Rubell made that statement, yet one more discotheque opened, Sybil's, in the New York Hilton. Anyway, get ready for Studio 54, a former CBS studio known as Studio 52. The previous name seems, seems a bit odd for the location, 254th West 54th Street, but the networks numbered its studios in the order that they came into existence. So, we're taking the venture to Broadway, Rubel said. Even though a lot of people advised us against it, the project is being approached from a theatrical standpoint. With lighting and scenery by Jules Fisher and Paul Morantz, they have devised a variety of effects, according to Rubel, such as occasional snowstorms, a volcano, a solar system, and a wind machine. But, you know, not one that's strong enough to whip dancers off the floor. Now, the cost for all of those renovations for opening night was about $400,000 in 1977. So today, that's about $1.7 million. The new discotheque actually did pretty well its first year in business. Uh, Rubel was quoted in saying in city newspapers that Studio 54 had made $7 million its first year and that only the mafia had made more money. This, though, unfortunately got the attention of the IRS. And shortly after that, the nightclub was raided and Rubel and Schrager were arrested for skimming $2.5 million. Studio 54 closed with a final party on the night of February 2nd to the 3rd of 1980, which I believe was a former pick on the show of mine. (laughs) Bringing it back. That's what I got for the news round, the opening of Studio 54, April 26th. 1977 wow
3: i didn't realize that so it was only open
2: like two and a half years huh yeah well that was the initial run it did open up again after but it it wasn't even close to being the same
3: yeah i went to the one in vegas lame there was (laughs) nobody was doing blow there was nobody there was no naked people running around
0: uh, you obviously didn't go to the right part <laughs> I have been to that studio that's where I hung out with carrot top and got hammered with carrot top at studio 54
3: oh man and
0: I saw and I saw the go-gos at studio 54.
3: God, and there was people doing coke and getting all sweaty and naked?
0: Oh, I didn't need coke. I didn't need coke. I just got sweaty and naked anyway. He
2: didn't need coke. He had carrot top. That's right.
0: I was having a salad. It was fine.
1: I renewed my vows in Vegas in June, so there was plenty of sweaty and naked going on.
3: I got married in Vegas. That's a little pandering to the judge right there. The Luxor. Uh... I've got you
0: beat. I did as well at the Little Church of the West where Britney Spears got married. (laughs) Oh,
3: wow. (laughs)
0: Drive-through. No, walk in. Walk in.
2: in. Oh, walk in. All right. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the news round? All right,
3: so let's go to uh, April 26, 1993. And as I mentioned previously, this is my second go-around with April of 1993. Uh, Like I said earlier, no repeats. Uh, There was plenty to choose from this month. So before I may get accused of bypassing a huge news story, please go back and check out the last time I had April of 1993. (laughs) I I won't tell you what that pick was, but I will say it's something that uh, Joe Finley would typically bring to a news round. So if you want death and despair, go and find that episode wherever podcasts are found better yet, uh, head over to duelingdecades.sounder.fm. Uh, where you can use your transcription service and you can search whatever you'd like, uh, whether that pick or anything else that we said. It's all on there. It's actually pretty cool. Dueling Decades at, at FM. Uh, Anyway, here's a story that I found entitled No, No, Not Barbarian by Bob Langford. And I quote, he says, uh, say it over and over. Late night with Conan O'Brien. Late night with Conan O'Brien. Nope. Just doesn't sound right, does it? For the record, Conan O'Brien was the editor of the Harvard Lampoon. He wrote for his new boss, Lorne Michaels, on Saturday Night Live for the past two years. He's been a writer on The Simpsons. Uh, last week, NBC sent a fax to its affiliates and that looked as if Gary Shandling would be the new host of Late Night. But Shandling and the network couldn't get together on when he could start. Letterman leaves NBC in June and he takes over at 1130 at CBS on August 23rd. So NBC wanted Shandling in place by then, but he's busy till then. And he might be doing the best show on television, HBO's Larry Sanders show. Uh, Shandling offered to start in September, but NBC said no. And now the network and everyone else are stuck with Conan O'Brien. When the news announcement was made, CBS was popping champagne corks. You don't think this is fodder for Dave's NBC jokes for the next two months? (laughs) If these were baseball cards, no six-year-old in the country would trade Letterman for O'Brien straight up. O'Brien's resume means he must be successful and a funny guy. None of it means he ought to be the host of Late Night. As you imagine, NBC affiliates are perplexed. To put it mildly, WRDC's Vicky Street sums it up by saying, Who the hell is he? This came out of nowhere. I'm sitting here stunned. Well, let me tell you, fucking Bob and what's her name? Vicky Street, who I've never heard of. Yeah, it only (laughs) lasted 16 seasons and 2,725 episodes (laughs) and brought us some of the funniest shit late night programming has ever had. Look at the network late night shows. They've been dog shit since Conan. He was erroneously removed from the tonight show. Uh, Fallon, he was all right for a while. Now he's meh. Colbert is a dumpster fire. Seth Meyers is ass crap. Corden, meh, And Kimmel's a turd. I mean, when Conan leaves TBS for good next June, late night shows are dead. He is the last of the Mohegans when it comes to late night shows and uh <laughs> triumph the insult dog uh he says fuck off bob i'm gonna leave that with you uh, it's it's the announcement of late night with conan o'brien i mean talk about timing though had Chandling been able to take over the show can you Ooh. imagine how the landscape would have been we might not even have gotten conan
0: yeah. He stuck with the right show. He stuck with Larry Sanders, Larry Sanders, <laughs> yeah, instead of yeah, yeah. going to the late night. It was much more successful. That's true. Um, all right. So this is news. Uh, boy, we had the opening of Studio 54, which was, uh, you know, uh, iconic, uh, monumental. It's crazy times. Um, and then entertainment based again with Conan O'Brien. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, those are both big news things. Uh, my. The obvious big news thing that happened in April of 86 would have should have been and would have been the return of Halley's Comet, which you know only comes around what every 75 years or so. Uh that would have been a cool, you know, like we freak out over eclipses and everything. This is even, you know, this is in cooler. This is a, a huge astronomical event. And that should have been like the highlight news event of April. You know, everybody likes April. It's spring. Everybody's going out. They're wearing shorts. Birds <laughs> are chirping. Until the April 26th of 1986, which ended up with, uh, and honestly, your, the opening of Studio 54, that was a worldwide type of thing, but basically it was a New York thing. The Conan O'Brien thing on TV, it's basically a, a U.S.-based kind of media empire, you know, kind of slugfest. Uh, this was a little different type of event. This was the Chernobyl nuclear reactor oh my meltdown.
3: God.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> uh has a little bigger impact than those two <laughs> things, in, in my opinion. Right up Joe's alley. Uh, Yep, (laughs) just uh you know and it couldn't have come in any better time uh basically it's 86 height of the cold war we're all cold war kids it's reagan versus everybody and it's uh you know gi joe versus cobra and it's arnold schwarzenegger and stallone against all of the bad russians and all of their proxies uh but uh you know chernobyl you know was a crappy nuclear reactor site in Ukraine. Um, It occurred on Saturday, uh, April 26th uh, at the number four reactor of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Uh, It's considered the worst nuclear disaster in the history of the world, both in terms of cost and casualties, uh, and is one of only two nuclear energy accidents rated at a seven which happens to be the maximum severity number on the international nuclear event scale, the other being the 2011 Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster in Japan, which, you know, that was a nuclear disaster because of an earthquake and a tsunami. So there was three things that had to happen for <laughs> Fukushima to fuck it up. And um, <laughs> Chernobyl was just bad, st- stolen Russian tech, <laughs> run by people that probably shouldn't have been running it and um the 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 irony let's you know nay the humor of chernobyl accident uh it was started uh during a safety test oh <laughs> my god so let's just say don't run any safety tests because <laughs> uh you're not safe um but it was crazy because i remember the news coverage of this we thought the world was you know this is kind of like i said height of cold war we thought you know we watched the morning after we watched all the drill like this is coming out of it but we're still there like we could all be gone literally in the blink of an eye uh you know stallone's not gonna save you <laughs> you know reagan's gonna be in a bunker somewhere uh you know and we're all literally toast Um, but, uh, you know, huge cold war this, and I'm a huge cold war kind of, you know, I'm not a buff, but I'm sort of an enthusiast, you know, if you will, uh, you know, love the history, love the movies, love the, you know, the, the espionage and the intelligence service and the geopolitics posters and shit. Uh, no i just have all the books that's right it's just absolutely (laughs) phenomenal of what and by the way it's still going on yeah uh we've just actually reverted back they've reverted back to 70s and 80s workbooks coming out of moscow now uh and you know who knows like hopefully this was you know just a safety check you know boo-boo that you know didn't work very well uh but it became the biggest news thing for a long time. I mean, it on the TV, it was scary as shit. Was the cloud going to come this way? Which way was the wind blowing? Um, and ironically at the time, uh, fewer than a hundred people died because of the accident. Um, and then very there's varying estimates of how many, you know, dozens or whatever for, you know, exposure and right. after that. Uh, but according to the stats, the damage control and the cleanup estimated over a half a million personnel worked on cleaning this thing up. Uh, And of course, they're probably all dead. And the, of course, there's no hard numbers and estimates because we're relying on russian stats or russian media which you're never gonna get (laughs) that number and it's probably three million people died from this thing (laughs) you know and and, uh you know but there's no you know confirmations of anything of course coming uh you know coming out of coming out of the kremlin uh just like nothing changes you know from you know 1916 on it's been 105 years of exactly the same stuff uh and we're still battling the same proxy wars and playing the cyber game and man you know what uh what what a different world it would have been uh if you know Patton had gotten his way <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and i'm not trying to be mr rah-rah go usa but you know fuck that rah-rah go usa <laughs> when it comes to the cold war right uh, we came we came out on top Um, and, uh, but so there's not really much to say, like I said, there's not many stats. It just dominated the news worldwide for a long period of time. Uh, and 30 years later, uh, they have a huge, you know, series on, on premium services now. So, uh, it, it, it still has a lasting effect. Yeah. We had documentaries of studio 54 and Conan O'Brien is now on TBS. So those things still have lasting power. Uh, chernobyl was a ground shaker and i but you know it's funny in comparison i'm not sure what killed more people chernobyl or studio 54 <laughs> so i don't really know so. neither
3: had great statistics
0: so i'll I'll leave that i'll leave the impact of the news story up to our um, esteemed judge
1: yeah conan comes out clean on that one for the murders <laughs>
3: yeah thank god <laughs> that we know of <laughs> Have you ever ever watched the uh, the YouTube? It's not like a YouTube series or anything, but there's a lot of YouTubers. I don't know if they're Russian or whatever, but they go back there like they go through the uh, the restricted areas and they yeah. go into the housing units and shit. It's fucking weird. It's very yeah. eerie. It's pretty so crazy creepy. shit.
0: All we have is Centralia, Pennsylvania. They've got Chernobyl to walk through. Yeah, like that's there.
3: the one with like uh, flames coming through the streets and shit, right?
0: Yeah, that's the one where there's a coal fire in a coal mine (laughs) in the 70s, and then they had you evacuate the town.
3: Never stopped. uh,
0: Because the toxic and the fire is still burning. (laughs)
3: That's awesome.
2: (laughs) All right, Joe Finley, let's kick it down to you for the final ruling on this game.
1: Oh, man. Um, Right off the bat, you give me that Studio 54, and I'm like, well, this rounds over. I guess we got a spoiler, and I was like, Studio 54, that's gigantic. Then. I get hit with Conan and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much harder. I, you know, no hyperbole. Conan is my all time comedy hero. I would say the two people when I look back who shaped me for my love of comedy over from childhood to adolescence would have been Steve Martin and Conan O'Brien. And those are the two. That's it. Where does the
3: uh, the masturbating bear fit in to that?
1: what uh he taught me a lot of things uh, it was right around uh it was right around that time when the uh, get a grip album came out i don't want to get too deep into it
0: um but that's why it's called get a grip
1: <laughs> precisely uh and he i mean it was right
0: there i had to take no it.
1: absolutely i love that but the conan's impact it's exactly what you said like uh, you know the late night wars between Leno and letterman with their own thing letterman has his own impact uh to me conan was as per in a personality what carson used to be but then all these other people just diluted the pool and he was so funny and continued to innovate and when he moved to tbs i actually saw his live show when he was between tonight's show and um, the TBS show, I, I saw him live in Toronto and it was just an outstanding live show. And he just, you know, doing what he can to kind of keep his people working and keep himself from going insane. And you can watch his documentary, uh, Conan O'Brien can't stop, uh, for all the kind of stuff on that. And then he continued to innovate. He's like, you know what? We're taking this hour down to a half hour. We're going to cut out all the fat, have a sketch, have a guest. get out. And then he took on the podcast game and present company excluded. He's got probably one of the best podcasts going. <laughs> so um, I I can't say enough about him. And then Andre, of course, you bring up Chernobyl, which uh, I, I, there is no bigger news story. There's no questioning that between the three um i actually covered i i had a news story that covered a little bit of chernobyl one time but it wasn't the actual happening of it it was something kind of on the back end that i just got to sneak in um but i'm always bringing the bad news but it's so hard because any like if i pick any of these i it feels like i'm spitting in the face of the significance of the other two and they're all so huge
3: (sighs) Well, put it this way: Mark's already out of the game.
1: So no, like... I know, I know.
3: <laughs> and Chernobyl, that accident
0: helped end the Cold War. Like it, you know, it it changed the world. It helped bring down the Soviet Union. So did Conan. So yeah, did... <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that.
1: Conan put it down forever. Uh, I'm I'm Canadian. I live a Cold War every year. I'm doing fine. Uh, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> My heart's telling me to go with Conan. I know it's it's nuts, but that's what my heart tells me and my and my heart tells me that and it tells me you're going to die soon, so I I believe it when it <laughs> tells me something.
2: All right, man Crush, you pick up two points in that round. You steal the lead away from Andre and you win this game.
3: Woo! Fart gun. <laughs> never brought that out in a while that was a that was a close one i i didn't know where joe was gonna go because usually joe goes with the uh the really negative impact stuff so as soon as you said chernobyl i was like you mean like the actual news yes yeah, uh, yeah. okay yeah oh, like got that, that, it there's yeah i mean there's when you look at this game and, and mark and i talk about this all the time we try to keep it light There's so much bullshit that goes on in the regular news all the time that I personally don't like to bring anything that's too shitty because just turn on TV and you'll see shitty stuff all day. (sighs) You know, so I try to stay away from that, but I knew like Al Capone's fault. Yeah, that's funny shit, though. Like, it's such a bad thing that happened. Yeah. I'd rather watch Chernobyl disaster. Fair. <laughs> it's probably more interesting.
0: <laughs> they were both empty rooms of dusty crumbling shit. It's the same thing.
3: But dude, I am I'm super impressed how you came out on your first you did better than 90% of the people that come on the show the first time be. that have to do oh. it as a uh, contestant.
0: Okay. And I, I had, I winged, I've, I just looked this stuff up yesterday and I winged it, but I lived through it. So it was cool. Yeah. I
3: yeah. mean, that's the thing. If you talk from the heart, I think you could sell a lot more shit than
1: the pick itself. And I think yeah. you did that perfectly.
0: Yeah. And I went off on tangent stories about myself. So that's always a winner.
1: <laughs> and do not get me wrong. I mean, this round or this game, it was really down to the wire on a few of the choices. And it's like tomorrow, the score could be much different. Uh, just based on, you know, what, what's hitting me that day. And it's like, but like, there's no questioning how huge Chernobyl was of a news story, but there's different kinds of impact. And I was just, I don't know the pop culture impact and the fact that I like he hit me in the Conan button, which is a really, really, uh, (laughs) it's a, it's a really, really soft spot for me. So, uh.
0: No, no explanation uh, needed. I'll just have to whip your ass next time, man. Oh. Um, the uh, But I do want to know um, what what would have been our tiebreakers.
3: So mine was going to be the movie The Crush, which is uh, it's a movie with Alicia Silverstone once again, <laughs> which yeah. uh, I just want to I wanted to cement her in because in 1993, she just she kicked it off, but she never stopped. Uh, during 93, 94, she was huge. Uh, but she came out with the movie The Crush, which is her big screen debut, where she plays a 14-year-old psychopath. Uh, who, she was actually 16 at the time when she did the movie, but uh, who tries to ruin her neighbor's life after he refuses to have sex with her. But the interesting part of this whole thing with the movie is that Alan Shapiro, who's the writer and director of this, it was based on a true story that he went through and then he got sued after the movie came out because he named alicia Silverstone Darien in the original movie, who happens to be the girl that the story oh. was about so in yeah. subsequent releases uh like the d v d and on television, they actually changed her name to adrian but if you uh oh, if you look at the movie uh there's notes that she writes to I think his name was Nick in the movie it was Carrie always. She writes a note to him and her initials are still the same. It's still uh, Darian, uh, whatever, Forrester. Why whatever would you use is. the real name? <laughs> I don't know. Ballsy. That's Ballsy. That's asking
0: for a loss. What yeah. yeah. was
3: yours. What were you going to bring for your uh, your extra?
0: I I, I think it might have depended on gamesmanship of if I went first or last. Uh, it's in music. And I'm not sure if I would have picked an album no, I think I would have had to go with a single because there was two singles that came out. But Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band released "Like a Rock."
2: Oh yeah, great track.
0: Which and the album, which you know, which just became iconic more than just a cool single. And I'm I'm a I'm a big Bob Seger fan. Yeah. So yeah. that jumped out at me. But I think, and here's the problem: the but there is a bigger single that impacted with "Kiss" by Prince and the Revolution. So "Kiss" oh. came out that oh. month as a single. That reached number 19 of the year in singles, but Robert Palmer addicted to love came out and that was number 10 single <sighs> of the year. So I probably would have brought out Robert Palmer's addicted to love single release. And plus it was another iconic MTV hit.
1: I I'll tell you, you would have won with that or kiss, uh, but, uh, <laughs> they're both fantastic. Uh well,
2: you, you yeah. don't know what my pick would have been for the wild card round, Mr. Joe Finley. Okay, do you have one? I, I do. I do <laughs> my pick for the wild card round. I actually had it's a little bit of a pandering to the judge, but we'll go to April seventh, seventy seven. Uh that was the day the Toronto Blue Jays were born and they began play <laughs> with the very first game of the Toronto Blue Jays on a snowy, cold afternoon up in Toronto. <laughs>
0: Oh, that, that, that is pandering. That's that tough. is
2: pandering.
1: Um, I think you might have actually won me over. Um, oh, damn it. I I would say that Kiss probably would have beat it. Addicted to love as much as I love it and as big as it was. I feel like pandering could have squeaked it out but <laughs> but there's no beating prince you could have just said hey prince you know took a selfie and left it on a subway floor and i'm like yes he wins <laughs> yes <laughs> and if you've never been to
3: paisley park go because oh, you'll lose your I, mind
1: yeah. i can't wait
2: anyway you absolutely killed it andre thank you you did a great job man Stiff oh competition
0: this was fun. Good, good, good. That was uh, great. That either gets me invited back or n- losing my email. No, dude, you,
3: <laughs> you could come back whenever, bro. Like uh, like I said, uh, for everybody out there, we, we are bringing this to video. Uh, hopefully, I don't know how this one came out. Joe was uh, producing this one while we were doing it. it. Maybe we will release this one if it came out good uh, video-wise. But I think... Yeah. You know, as far as these episodes go, I think you put in a lot of stuff and you put your personal stuff into it, which we don't get a lot of because we're not Mm. connected. We're not in Hollywood. We weren't on the same lots as Tom Hanks and Woody Harrelson and and shit like that. So uh, really great takes. And I just wanted to ask you, I saw um, a little off topic, but you're going to be at Mahoning next month.
0: I am. I'm going to be at the um, hunting uh, drive-in theater on April uh, 16th and 17th. Yeah. 16th and 17th. Uh, They are doing an awesome two night event, double bill each night of um, a movie called the monster squad. And then uh, following up the monster squad with, uh, uh, you know, this new documentary called Wolfman's gotten arts. So it's, uh, you know, which I also have a little bit of, uh, you know, attachment to yeah
3: you have, you have something to do with it yeah
0: yeah but uh that's going to be awesome we were trying to do it last year you know last the last fall and it didn't work out and it was sort of like you know height you know pinnacle of covid time yep. and uh it would have been in october it would have been awesome but uh instead of ending their season we're sort of opening their season this time and Uh, You know, those guys have been uh, having some awesome events over the last couple of years, but especially this last year, when drive ins were the only kind of thing that people can enjoy safely. Uh, And um, it's just really cool to get a chance to go. I'm flying in for the two nights. Uh, there's going to be like distance photos, and uh, there's going to be a ton of stuff to sign. So you can bring your own stuff, uh, get it signed, or they'll have stuff there for you for, for for you to sign. You can sign something if you want to, <laughs> but uh, I, it's mostly going to be me signing. But um, and uh, you know it's going gonna, gonna to be really cool because uh, I am a huge drive-in theater fan, and where I grew up, we used to have a lot of them, right? And you know, as you can imagine like southern california you know built for the automobile and uh, even in the valley you know we had the Van Nuys drive-in we had the winnetka drive-in and i love the drive-in theater i think it's such a big piece of uh of, of americana i think it's 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 one of those like literally top five things when i think of americana uh it's the drive-in uh, movie theater And there's not many around, but this last year, a lot of them got resurrected. So it's a cool resurrection story. But I used to go to the drive-in with my dad and that was, you know, and friends. Uh, but it was, it was really cool to go. And I, you know, I, you remember those movies that you see at the drive-in yep. and I remember, I saw Octopussy at the drive-in and it was like the first, <laughs> for, one of the first movies I saw at the drive-in.
2: Mangro got some pussy at the drive-in. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
0: and it was, yeah, I was totally opposite. I went for the wrong reason. Yeah. And uh, you know, Bob Seeger did a video at a drive-in, you know, so look at all how this is playing in. Oh, right. Um, but you know, I I just remember seeing Maude Adams and, and, and actually realizing what Bond women meant and (laughs) you know how 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 just stunning and amazing you know they all are uh even you know even to this day um she was my favorite up until eva green yeah
3: so good man yo mahoning's great though
0: yeah i'm looking forward it's gonna be a blast so you know if you know anybody you know throw them in the trunk and uh drive them over (laughs) no don't do that don't do that hang out with me
3: do it the right way at mahoning it's only it's a single screen it's the biggest screen in pennsylvania it's a fantastic place. I go there every year. It's like two hours. I'll see if Mike Ranger wants to go. The only thing is I hopefully it's not sold out because uh, they've been selling out every weekend. They do. I
0: know our, uh, they actually, I think they're dropping uh, kind of like the next uh, just even mention of it tomorrow. I made a little video for, uh, which is a Friday and whenever this airs, but um, uh, we haven't even, they haven't even really started marketing and they did their original push and they had a couple hundred tickets sold just off their, uh, you know, on their opening on that day of the announcement. So right. hopefully it gets maxed out. I think they're capping it at, uh, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to cap it at, but, uh, yeah, either show up day of or get, you know, please come because it's going to be fun. It's yeah, going to be don't, rad. Don't
3: come day of if you, if you don't have tickets. You might, you might not, you you'll might get not turned be away. able
0: to, but uh, I do know one thing that they said they're doing is usually when they have guests, they usually come about two hours ahead of time to start the signing line because <laughs> yep. sometimes the movies, yeah. whatever the first one is, will start playing while people are waiting for that, mm. uh, but they they want me to come an hour earlier than that. To start, I guess they're anticipating a huge <laughs> crowds, so I'll be signing for three hours and before the first movie starts. Right. So it's uh, so we we'll try to rip them out and get them there. We'll have uh, mini posters and some production stills. And like I said, if you've got uh, your own poster or uh, uh, you know, God forbid, a teen magazine or you know something <laughs> like that, uh, go ahead and bring it <laughs> and, and we'll get it signed for you know an, uh, uh, a nominal charge. Oh for shit! Sure. So yeah. it
3: looks like there is still tickets. I am gonna buy mine right now because uh, seriously once that ad goes up, they will be gone. Um, I'm yeah, well, you know, make so sure there, like,
0: definitely make sure, you know, like I, I know ahead of time we'll hang out and, uh,
3: uh which, which day is uh, better. I'll come, for you, I'll come sit or, on the hood of your car Friday or Saturday,
0: <laughs> which what,
3: uh, which day is better for you Friday or Saturday.
0: I, I think they're the, I think they're the same. Uh, but I'm, I'll be there probably wearing the same shirt both days. So it doesn't matter.
3: <laughs> it's my birthday weekend. So like, I know hey, my wife, birthday, my wife won't say anything. If I buy tickets on my birthday weekend, it'd be totally cool.
0: But
3: yeah. That <laughs> well, was- it's nice that you're, you know, you get to,
0: you use your birthday, uh, coupon to get out of town <laughs> for, for me. I'll take it. I'll take it, man. She, she
3: won't it. come with me though, this time, because of the last time that I talked about a couple of weeks ago where I was the guy in the middle of the night where my car alarm went off and it wouldn't, I couldn't get the alarm off. I it, I was driving and it wouldn't go off uh yeah i was that asshole but yeah i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna get these tickets and uh i'll see if mike ranger wants to go with me we'll uh, we'll head up there it's like two and a half hours from here great place though you'll you'll be in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden you'll just oh, see yeah. this giant screen and yeah
0: looking forward to it can't crazy. uh can't wait
3: anything else coming up i know last time you were on we talked about uh you started planning the other documentary about the lady that was stealing kids and all that stuff are you still doing that or what
0: Uh, You know, that's on the list. I'm just starting to, um, you know, kind of, you know, everybody's kind of coming out of their groundhog hole (laughs) to see if they see their own shadow or not. And, um, yeah, that's definitely something still on the list, you know, but that's such a niche project. Uh, You know, documentaries are huge right now. Like a lot of people like them. They're hard sells, though, you know, uh, you know, up front because, you know, there's you just have to find the right kind of interest. Um, currently I just, uh, I just got, um, I just drove back from LA. I was, I was in, I was in town for a week working on a couple other development things with some new ideas and, 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 and a friend of mine's clients, uh, you know, he's a manager and, and, and access to, you know, kind of network people. So I'm working on some TV concepts, um, but you know, and then just working on, uh, you know, you just don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of this thing. I, I love that documentary project. Uh, there's another documentary project that I like, which happens to, you know, affected an old neighborhood of mine, you know, it's a big gas leak, you know, a couple of years ago, it was this huge thing, um, you know, more uplifting, you know, type of thing, and, um, very positive. you know, trafficking kids and like, you know, <laughs> gas leaks at a natural gas plant and, um, uh, you know, and then some, some crazy TV projects, but um, there's, you just never know what's going to pop up. So you got to have like five, six or 15 things, you know, swirling around. Cause you never know you have a meeting or a phone call and someone goes, I like that.
3: True. <laughs> right. True. Well, it sounds like you got yeah. a lot of shit going on, but hopefully uh, see you next month. And uh, dude, come back on here whenever. Cause uh if contestant <laughs> judge, whatever you want to do. I think you got both sides covered. I think we were all super happy with <laughs> how this went because this is Absolutely. the first time we did it. Cause we're always nervous about like, all right, who's going to come on to be a contestant. It is a tough thing to do. You gotta it find is. To that, it is, and, uh, it is
0: absolutely a tough thing to do because you, you got like I was even intimidated coming in. And while we were going, because you guys come in, you know, you find these great articles and you give all, you know, you give a lot of the backstory and the and and the stats. And, you know, you try to write down, you know, the highlights and you're like, well, what am I going to fill that with? You know, <laughs> there's so much more, you know, there's so much more kind of background information. But uh, I tried to hold my own. I tried to hold you my did
1: own. Fantastic. You got a grip.
3: That's weird.
2: Well, thanks again, Andre. But unfortunately, we're going to have to end this episode right here. But don't worry, if you've missed an episode, you can always head back to our website. That's duelingdecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, really, everywhere podcasts are available. And then, like Man Crush said earlier, head on over to our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash dueling decades where you can join our private group and share some of your very own retro memories so until next time duelers we're gonna bid you a peace love light and a joy have a grateful week everyone podcast new york
4: be heard